welcome to Weaver Beyond the Numbers, where Weaver professionals talk about business and accounting. We'll explore a wide variety of topics from tax law and accounting standard changes to managing cyber, fraud, financial, and operational risks. What do these issues mean to your business? Join us as we go beyond the numbers to find out. My name is Adam Jones. I'm a government practice leader for Weaver. I do a fair amount of work in organizational assessment and strategic governance, which makes me very excited about today's panel. They're a tremendous group skilled in human resources, employee well-being, people engagement, and the study of all of those things. And we're gonna learn more and more details about our panelists during today's conversation. But let me briefly introduce them before we dive in. Uh, Julie Armandaris is the HR leader of GitLabs, a technology company focused on improving software development processes. They have 1,300 employees across 65 countries. All of them work remotely. So that is Julie's perspective. Kimberly Roberts is the vice president and well-being practice leader for Lockton Companies. They are the world's largest private insurance brokerage firm. They have employees in over 100 countries. So you are probably sensing a theme here. Thank you, Kimberly. And Dr. Chris White is the chief science officer for the Flippin Group. Uh, the Flippin Group is another company that works across the globe dedicated to improving the effectiveness of people and teams in schools, government agencies, corporations, the military, and even professional sports teams like the New York Yankees and the Dallas Cowboys. If we were live, I would pause now for the applause and boos that accompany that line, but we'll skip past it, particularly for Cowboy fans who may be joining us. Setting that aside, we have about 60 years of experience in helping people be the absolute best they can be with us today. And I really want to take advantage of that when we talk about all the new ways in which we have to engage with employees, with leadership, with each other, with our clients and constituents and the people we serve. So I wanna start with Julie Amandaras. And Julie, GitLab was formed and it continues to thrive as a fully remote company. So you've made I'm sure a lot of adaptations during the current pandemic, but remote working wasn't one of them. You already had that down. Um, and if you go to your website, you've even published what you call the remote work manifesto. So with that as a jumping off point, what are the, the guiding principles of remote engagement at GitLab and what lessons have you learned that would be most helpful to today's audience? Absolutely. Okay. Thank you, Adam. I just want to say I'm really excited to be here today um, at GitLab. I am an HR partner to the finance organization, and I've supported finance groups at different companies for many years. So I have a special place in my heart for this audience and a deep respect for all of the work that you do. So first and foremost, thank you for having me here today. As Adam said, GitLab has been 100% remote from the beginning. We've never had offices or headquarters, so we were not thrown into remote work overnight, like many of you with COVID. Uh, we were able to choose it, 
plan it out, and we've made many, many adjustments along the way over the past nine years. And as a company, we are very big advocates for remote work. Um, so in addition to the manifesto that um, Adam mentioned, we actually did hire a head of remote um, about a year and a half ago. And we have an entire section of our GitLab website that is devoted to remote work, best practices, all of that. So please feel free to use that as a resource uh, as well. As an HR leader, I will share that most of my career was spent commuting and working on site every day. Um, and I've been remote for about four years and I really love it. But I recognize that remote work is not for everybody. Um, and so there's many, many lessons learned, many best practices, all kinds of articles and things out there. But I'm gonna quickly focus on four. Um, and so I'm just going to dive right in. So first one, and I know this sounds really basic, but I think we overlook it. And that is to extend trust to yourself and to others. Okay. And what I mean by that is, first of all, you have to trust that you as a leader hired good people on your team who, who report to you, right? And then you need to turn around and, and trust those teams. Trust that your employees are working hard, even though you can't see them working. I've been in HR a long time, and I think that, you know, for the most part, most employees are honest, ethical, hardworking. You know, they want to be trusted to do, a, to do good work, to manage their schedules, to structure their day in a way that works for them. Uh, especially with COVID and, and kids, you know, learning virtually and, and all of that. So, um, you know, we all, we all know that just because someone is sitting, you know, two cubes down from us, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're producing great results and, and high quality work. So, you know, I know we often say, and we, we really believe that we trust our people, but our actions need to reflect that. So that's the first thing I would, I would put out there. And then the second thing is investing in collaborative tools for both synchronous and asynchronous communication. And this is actually a, a deal breaker, in my opinion, for remote work, okay? At GitLab, we don't provide expensive tools, but we do provide ways for people to collaborate and communicate effectively in a remote setting, okay? So we make sure that whether it's office equipment, hardware, software, systems access, um, internet access, whatever it is, making sure that people can um, have the tools they need to work well remotely, okay? And the other thing is we, we push for asynchronous communication, um, which I really struggled with, to be honest, when I first started working remotely. Um, but we push for that as the preferred method over a live face-to-face -face, face -face communication, right? And that's a really big shift in remote work, but I think it's really important. Because when we're in the office, when we're on site together, you know, the default is to pick up the phone or get up and walk down the hall to talk to somebody about the issue, right? But in remote, it's kind of the opposite. So we have a whole um, section on our website about synchronous and asynchronous communication, um, but I'm happy to discuss it further uh, offline if anyone's interested. So, um, okay, I've got two more. So the, the third uh, suggestion or, or best practice that we do at GitLab is iteration. And so um, it's actually one of our corporate values. We have six corporate values and iteration is one of them, okay? And basically it means that we are expected to constantly tweak and change things and make it better, 
more efficient, right? So whether it's a process or a policy or a template or whatever, it could be anything. We literally iterate on all of it, right? There's very little that we do today at GitLab that hasn't changed in some form or fashion over the last nine years. And so I say all of that because with remote work, you should try different things, right? You're probably trying many different things and some of it's going to work and some of it isn't and that's totally okay. You just want to adjust as you go, right? So um, if it's something didn't work, it's not a failure, right? It's, it's iteration and that's actually very freeing, right? So the sooner you can embrace iteration, um, it's actually very freeing for yourself and for your team. And that's a big proponent at GitLab. And then the last thing I would say is, um, and it was hard to pick just four, but the last thing I would say is don't try to replicate the in-office experience, okay? Because um, you'll make yourself crazy trying to do that. So instead, just focus on creating a really great remote experience. There's so many wonderful benefits to remote work, um, aside from just not having to commute every day. And so for however long you and your team work remotely, I really hope you're able to experience some of those benefits of remote work. And one way to do that is to engage employees and their ideas in creating a great remote work experience because you hire great people, right? So it would be silly not to tap into their ideas about how they think they can make the remote work experience better. And it might be how to improve a process that's now being done remotely, um, or it could be, you know, how to have a company Halloween costume contest remotely, right? It could be anything in there. So um, those, those are my suggestions to at least start off with. Um, I'm very passionate about remote work. I can talk about it for hours, but I will stop with those four and I hope that's been helpful. Well, your, your last point about employee feedback is the very essence of engagement. And I, I'm not sure you could have set the stage for today's conversation better than you did, Julie. So we really appreciate that. Um, I want to turn to Kimberly Roberts. Kimberly Lockton has employees and offices all over the world, as we mentioned in the, in the prelude. You're responsible for their well-being. I, I note you have done similar work in the past for a company, a best practice company familiar to us all, Southwest Airlines. So you have a lot of background in taking care of people who are taking care of your, your customers and clients. Unlike GitLab, you had some pretty massive adaptation issues when you had to go to remote work. You are not a, an all remote company. So reflecting on some of the things Julie said, what were some of the first actions your leadership team took? Um, and how did those actions align with some of the, the concepts Julie has shared with us? Absolutely. So Adam, I, I think as, as we dive in, it's important for our guests today to understand that while Lockton serves our employees internally, our motto at Lockton is we love service. So the idea that we can't get to our clients quickly and efficiently in the time of, of, of COVID was an immediate concern, knowing we like to respond to every message, every call, every day. So when you have a company that is really focused on, on delivering um, high quality value and doing that consistently, that in lies the conversation around one, during COVID, immediately, how do we make sure our employees are safe? 
And how do we go from the majority of our individuals, while they may have traveled quite a bit, worked in office, and now basically you're moving over 5,000 employees to a remote work environment overnight, which is a little bit different than Julie's ability to kind of plan ahead um, for the remote experience. And so in doing that, it's really engaging, you know, when I teach team that did fantastic at saying just how do we get the resources that we need? How do we get the tools? And so a lot of that was done through employee surveys, just identifying what are the resources that you have at home for employees that did not have laptop computers as part of their work structure and environment. How do we make sure that we're either servicing them with internal resources or are there things that they could utilize from their own personal you know, toolkit, if you will, from their home office. And then what about just things as simple as an office chair? So if you think about a number of new grads that may be sharing apartment space with three or four other individuals working at different companies who are now all sharing an office space in an apartment, this in lies new technical challenges, new office space challenges, and maybe they don't even have an ergonomic supported desk where they're now going to be staying maybe a week or maybe seven months, you know? And so here we are in this environment. Don't have any furniture, Kimberly. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And so, you know, really saying, how do we help them and support them? So there was a lot of surveys, a lot of discovery on the tools and, and resources that employees needed. And Lockton responded very quickly to get accessibility to those resources. And then I think the next thing that is so critical and, and maybe a different slant on, on what Julia shared, but is communication. I found leadership communication um, is not only effective all the time, but even more critical in a remote, 100% remote work environment. So where we had leadership town halls you know, throughout the year, they were more intentional from an executive leadership team of delivering that by division on a weekly basis. And then from a company-wide standpoint, delivering those town halls and updates about what was going on with the organization, where were we challenged in different aspects of the business. And then from just a COVID and safety response, how are we getting that communication out to our employees? And so executive presence, I think it's very critical during times of major change management and continuing that was definitely um, key for locked in. And as you continue thinking about communication and to Julie's point around just Halloween celebrations and how you may be doing that, social isolation is real. And I think even if you're planning remote work and you're prepared for it, I'm 100% extrovert. And so I think different people need different levels of engagement and different support and needing to feel connected. And so one thing that Lockton did that um, I was very proud of was they were already in search of a new internal communication tool, more of a social media platform than just a company-wide internet. And so we actually engaged with Facebook to deploy the workplace version of Facebook which is where you can have social media engagement from a fun aspect, but also for business news that's more relatable and practical for what's happening and how millennials and Gen Zers are already using technology today. So not only did we get US and global business announcements 
through that platform. But what became really fun is Locked In Parents started sharing their challenging aspects of online school and you know how to deliver those services um, while working. And then Locked In Pets was formed on people that just needed some support or needed compassion or people that didn't have pets got to see fun pictures and stories of, of events happening. And so part of this is leadership communication is important, but social connectivity is another element that was identified as, as something we really encouraged our employees uh, to do and continue. And I think the, the last one that I would, would leave you with as we just continue to think about GitLab's approach of being innovative and, and really you know, saying, what can we do next? One thing that, that Lockton does really well is celebrating annual success. And so every June, we have a state of the company's event where our leaders are visible, where there is recognition given to employees. And all of that was done in person. Employees would fly in from all over you know, the globe to be a part of those conversations. And that's a little bit challenging when you're doing that virtually. And so the company provided those in a series of three, a three day event. So everybody wasn't on, you know, a session for eight hours, but more so in little bites of acknowledging our success as a company, then doing rewards and recognition on a following day, and then doing ongoing surprises and celebrations and what's coming next. So we didn't eliminate those things that our employees valued and giving them an opportunity to be celebrated, but we just found a, a new way to do those things. So while we didn't, haven't adjusted over nine years, as GitLab has mentioned, we've had to make those adjustments over seven months to figure out what is working, what is working well, and today locked-in employees are still primarily um, remote, and so we expect that to continue into next year, and so we'll continue to be creative. So I think, Adam, that probably starts our, our conversation on, you know, what are we doing and how did we go from in office to 100% remote in a matter of a week? There are a lot of great things in there, Kimberly. One of the things I would note, Lockton has 5,000 employees. So just to make a parallel to some of the folks watching us today, 5,000 is, is how a pretty big school district or city might be staffed. That's a large state agency. And some of the lessons about serving customers or constituents really ring true to me. I have a state agency background. But also the internal Facebook, the building a community within a community is sort of prominent in government agencies, school districts, city. I, I think that's a really, uh, a really great point and really admirable of, of Lockton. I want to talk to Chris White. Chris, the, the Flipping Group has a long history of working on what you call people puzzles, which I think is a great turn of phrase. And some of the educators in our audience are probably familiar with things like capturing kids' hearts, uh, the curriculum. So one of the things about uh, my experience with Flippin is I know that you're a high-touch company and you're known for your in-person engagement. Now you're in the middle of a shift. And I know that you as the chief science officer and you actually have a, a statistics background have studied human behavior for a very long time, uh, long before the pandemic started. 
And what have you learned in the last few months from your colleagues and clients that may have surprised you or may not have about how you engage folks remotely? Well, I'd love to speak to that. Before I do, just want to say I'm really enjoying this so far. I'm taking notes. Maybe I should get some continuing education credit for this. I mean, like, do I get credit? Can I get credit for this? Oh, yeah. My dog said no. My dog said no. <laughs> but uh, uh, I really, uh, an honor to be with you all, like, like Julie and Kimberly said. To answer your question, you know, what are the behaviors that I've seen that really need to be looked at that I want you to kind of examine? I'll have, I have a couple of props. So the first one is, you know, think, about, think about your mindset. Think about your mindset. Do you think of all this as just, oh, this is the worst ever, and when is it going to end? And I just, I'm, just, I'm just not good in Zoom. I'm just not good over the phone. Or do we see it as an opportunity, an opportunity to allow people to work home that never could have before, to, to shift some paradigms, to, to even gain some efficiencies, to stretch ourselves and get stronger in ways we, might, we, we may not have voted for, but could turn out to be good in so, so many other ways. In fact, here's a couple of research studies. There was a research study done from the University of Virginia, and they found, so picture these people looking up at this steep hill, and they're hiking. So you're looking at the hill, you got your backpack on, and here's what they found. When people are wearing a heavy backpack, or when they're tired, they perceive the hill to be steeper than it really was. So anybody on this call can relate to being a little bit fatigued or a little bit tired with just all that we have going on and all the paradigm shifting. Um, I doubt it, right? I'm sure we all can relate to that. And so how we see that hill, though, makes a difference. And if we see it as this daunting, horrible hill, then it might very well end up feeling like a daunting, horrible hill. It's also possible we didn't see it quite as clearly. Another research study from Cambridge found that that people perceived a hill, similar study, to be less steep when they're, I'm curious, right? How would you finish that sentence? How would I perceive the hill to be less steep? What's a mitigating factor that could help me see clearly? And what they found was when you're with other people. And so if we use the community around us, you know, use your, your, your social networks, right? Use your friends, connect with people. Don't end up isolating yourself. Uh, me being a little bit more of an introvert by nature, I can relate to that. I resemble that remark. And so I really do have to be careful that I don't just work out of my home office and do my thing and, and do what's on my calendar. I've got to be proactive there too. But the mindset there makes all the difference. And I think the other thing I would challenge you with starts with the same two letters. So we've got mindset and then we've got mirror, mirror, that I want you to make sure you look in the mirror. In this season, if, is there ever a better time to look in the mirror? and really examine what are, what are the behaviors that you need to leverage further? What are your strengths, in other words? What are some possible risks or constraints, behavioral constraints? What are some strengths you might take too far? In my case, I'm very detailed, very analytical. I have very high expectations. I'm very strong-willed. So I wonder if I were to ask my colleagues or my wife or my family, or my friends, or whoever, right? Um, are those strengths or are those constraints? I know what they would say. They would say, yes, yes. That, that those are not things I should apologize for or lose completely or feel guilty for. But can I go past the tipping point there? And so in this season, I've got to look in the mirror and I've got to see that the other day, 
somebody in my family, <clears throat> I just cleaned off the kitchen, I cleaned up the kitchen, every dish was put away. I mean, oh man, it looks so good. And I walk in and there's a, a cup and a fork in the sink. You had to walk by the dishwasher to put it in the sink. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? Like, it, it's not like it needed to soak. I mean, all the other excuses that some of us have used. And, and so I, I, I have to look in the mirror there and remind myself that, that my detail orientation being excessively high, my, tight, my need for tidiness being excessively high, might even be exacerbated in this season. So I've got to look in the mirror, and I've got to see that although my detail orientation has been a great strength, I can take it too far. So I've got to look in the mirror. What are my risks? What are the constraints or behaviors that can hold me back in this season in particular? And maybe one, one final kind of follow-up sub-question to that same um, concept of mirror is, will I get feedback? Will I get feedback? I I've done a lot of self-diagnosis, and a lot of us just don't see ourselves clearly. So I've got to get that feedback from other people. I've got to be open to that. I've got to seek it out. When I seek it out, I've got to ask better questions. I've got to, make, I've got to uh, say things in a way that are more disarming. When I get feedback, I've got to make sure I don't respond with excuses or defensiveness. And oh man, if you think that's tricky, you are 100%. In fact, if you think that's kind of tricky, um, I'm going to give you a clinical diagnosis. You are officially human because it is hard. It is hard. I get feedback that's not that accurate or certainly some that's poorly delivered. <clears throat> and what am I supposed to do? You're supposed to find the good, find the good. And so, yep, to me, mirror, a mindset and mirror would be my two. It's interesting because one of the refrains I hear during pandemic is everything's exhausting. So, you know, that leads me to believe when you talk about self-awareness, both our strengths and weaknesses are heightened to a fine edge sometimes. And at the same time, some of them are depressed in similar ways. And it, it just seems like the emotional pendulum is a lot wider um, in times like this than it typically would be when we return to whatever normal uh, is. That's a, a, an interesting question. Um, yeah, I agree. I think we've set down a great baseline of discussion. We have talked about some general concepts of remote work. We've talked about adaptations that companies make. We've talked about personal adaptations in mindset and mirror, and I, I really enjoyed this. I want to go back to, to um, Dr. Roberts for a moment. Um, Kimry, a proud PhD from Texas Women's University, which I think is awesome. But there are also some practical considerations about employee well-being. Um, there are some technical parts of human resources that have to be figured out. You, when, in one of our prep sessions, I remember you had a great quote that you said, you can't send mental health information out as a flyer, right? Your connections have to be sharper than that. Your business processes have to adapt. So, Understanding the strengths and weaknesses of those working from home, you have training needs, you have technical needs, you have EEO compliance needs, information security needs. How did Lockton kind of make that all work? And I know that's a, an expansive question, but can you give some tips for the practical application of remote engagement in, in a business setting? Absolutely. So, Adam, as 
as I think about the re the response to your to your question there, there's there's two perspectives that I'm looking at, and one is we deliver these services internally, but we also deliver these services externally to our clients as well. So we're not only thinking about what do professional services need, but when we think about a number of different industries that we support and the creativity that's needed there. So I wanna preface that with, their, with each one of these things that I might share, there's probably some creativity in delivering these depending on the type of structure that you have in your environment today. And so, the, the first thing that I'd kind of like to do is set the framework for when we think about employee well-being, we think about it pretty broadly in the sense that are, what are the things that employees need to be successful, to be able to come to work and be productive and also live a flourishing life. And so when we think about that, Lockton thinks about that in four different areas, and that is career well-being. That's the reason that employees come to work. That's the reason that they're looking for job satisfaction or they're looking for pay or, or recognition. And then the next is community. And community can be where we're servicing, you know, external volunteer needs, but it's also part of, you know, that relationship that you have internally. It could be diversity, equity, and inclusion support, looking at employee resource groups. It could also be financial well-being. So there's been a lot of financial hardship during this, during this time over the last seven months. And so really addressing that some of the challenges your employees may be facing because of not just remote work, but their spouse may have lost their job during this time. They may have lost childcare and they're having to think of other creative ways to pay for it during this time. And then the, the last is really a focus on that physical and mental health. So now that you have employees that are, are working remote and um, those that are, are not in groups, when we just start there with the physical and, and mental health, let's start there from a practical application. Your employees are moving less, period. They're not walking from the parking lot <laughs> to the office. And so just the momentum and enthusiasm or adrenaline rush that you might get from just, you know, having some opportunity to just get some exercise is one. And so if you can identify ways to celebrate physical health within your environment, I think that's great, whether it's doing virtual races online, virtual support for physical health, or just being intentional about, hey, Adam, let's all stand up during this meeting and really supporting working from a stand-up desk versus a sit desk. The second piece is mental health. And what we're really concerned about from just overall environment is the growth of need, identified need during COVID. And it's not just a response to fear of COVID. I think as a country, we were already struggling with anxiety and depression and growing and this always on mentality. So I'm sure many of you know, not only are you getting a email now, you're getting a text message, you're getting a Zoom chat, you're getting an instant messenger chat. Everybody is trying to get a hold of you and we're starting earlier and we're working later. And so it really doesn't give you that opportunity to just take a break. And so we see that digital mental health resources like a talk space or a better help counseling services that are in the consumer market are growing drastically 
in serving that need. And mental health is important, but some of that is stemmed from really focusing on leadership communication, setting the right expectations on performance goals, the goals that you may have delivered from a career well-being standpoint to your employees in February may not make sense anymore. They may not make sense for 2021. So how have we adjusted performance um, and expectations there? And then secondly to that, how have we adjusted onboarding and training? And the way that Lockton has done that, again, we had to go from doing in-person onboarding experiences to virtual onboarding experiences. And so one, having a setup that really is engaging and not just, here's a video, go watch it. How do you really create that element of culture from day one really involves connecting with people, not just connecting with platforms. So if you have a platform that does the training or onboarding video, how are you ensuring that that employee is connecting with say 10 other new people, whether they're in their department or other leaders in the organization, but how do you create that connectivity? And we have found that very critical to the success of those who have joined the organization within the last seven months. We're still hiring. We still have employees transitioning you know, outside the company and so we're having to backfill, but we need them to feel engaged and not just with maybe the two or three people that they would work with on a daily basis, but they feel a part of something bigger. And then the, the last thing that I, I would just add from a practical application standpoint is not only are we working remote and not only are there challenges that we're still facing from returning to work from, from COVID safety um, in our workspaces and environment, but we have an election upcoming. We have racial tension conversations that have really put diversity, equity, equity and inclusion at the forefront. And so those dialogues are now happening remote. And so maybe they're happening via text or they're happening via instant messenger. And so identifying opportunities to really ensure that your employees have an outlet to provide that feedback and to provide that opportunity to say, I'm still a part of something bigger and I'm helping generate positive momentum in the organization. And so those are things where you can use a platform like Workplace or another social media platform that maybe you've created internally just to ensure that you have positive engagement and are able to reinforce that employees' feedback matters. That's fantastic. There's so many places I wanna go here. I would love for this to be a two or hour or three hour session, but they won't let us. Um, it seems like it's been forever since we have talked to Julia Armendariz, so thanks for hanging there in there with us. I want to, I'm going to do something dangerous here because I want to ask a question both to you and to Chris, uh, and I want to turn it a little bit different way. Um, I want to bring up the concept of accountability. Kimberly had a nice lead in when we talk about performance goals and how that sometimes shifts when the environment shifts. And Julie, the very first thing you told us today was talking about building a culture of trust. So for people who are starting in a remote environment, um, who don't have the experience that GitLabs, Julie, how does that trust culture lead to holding employees accountable for performance, for work? Um, how do you know what you're getting out of your employees? 
And then I want Chris's perspective because Chris, I know the, the flipping group is a big accountability organization and you help your clients with accountability frameworks. I want to talk about what leaders do right and wrong with bringing a, a accountability to an organization. So if you, if you two could just piggyback on each other, Julie, let's start with accountability at GitLab and how you've embedded that in the trust culture. Absolutely. We all know that, you know, trust is earned, right, over time. And so um, we, we try to really invest in um, managers and, and their training and, and all of those kind of things and what we expect from, from everybody at GitLab, right, and especially those in a, in a leadership level. Um, but one of the big things that drives our accountability, to be honest, is we, and, and it's published in our remote manifesto, I'm sure somewhere, but, but we are very big about measuring results, rewarding and recognizing results, not measuring the number of hours, right, that someone works. Right. And, and we've actually had, you know, admonished people who have said like, oh, I worked all weekend or, oh, I spent, you know, 15 hours working on this or whatever. We're like, we, we actually discourage like bragging about the number of hours that you work. And, and we really try to just push a culture of what are your results, right? And, and the reason that we do that is because we want people to experience the benefits of remote work fully, which means that at GitLab, we don't necessarily expect that you work from eight to five, right? We, we allow people to structure their day however it works for them, for their family. We have people who work from six to 10 a.m. They stop, they take a break for two hours, they continue working from 12 to four or whatever they need to do based on family obligations with their children or their spouse or their parents or whatever it is. And uh, so that's just a quick example, but all of that stems from, at the end of the day, we just wanna make sure that our team members are driving towards results. And we measure those results annually, quarterly, monthly. Everyone has um, OKRs and KPIs that they know what, what they are and what we're driving to. And so we basically just give people the freedom of like, this is what you need to accomplish. How you choose to do that is up to you. And we're gonna focus more on your results and that's what we're gonna measure and, and, and reward. And, and that's worked really, really well for us. And I think we're pretty transparent about that before people ever join GitLab, right? So they kind of understand that that is part of our culture and, and that that's kind of what you are opting into when you come to work at GitLab. We talk a lot about being a manager of one, right? So, mm -hmm. so each person at GitLab is their own sort of manager. They self-manage. We, we trust them to manage their time, their schedule, get their work done on time with high quality. And when they don't, or if they don't, okay, we'll deal with that one-off. But as a general sort of rule or practice, that's kind of um, how we tend to operate. Chris, Julie's described a very interesting accountability <clears throat> culture. And, and you've experienced this across industries, companies, and sectors. Uh, what rings true about that? And, and what kind of behaviors do you see when leaders are, are trying to uh, promote a culture of accountability, both good behaviors and bad when sometimes folks overreach. Can, can you give us a little of your perspective and what the research tells you about that? Yeah, I love this question only because, you know, as a kind of 
consultant and coach for 21 years, I mean, me having to push people, right, when I'm trying to stretch them, um, you know, this is like the thing I think about several times a day. Uh, and I've learned a lot the hard way and I'm still learning. But I would say this, you know, there's really two specific behaviors. I, I did a workshop recently on two things that should go together for leaders, but usually don't. Okay. Two behaviors that should go together for leaders. And they were nurturing and criticality. And, and most leaders are kind of leaning one way or the other. They're really nurturing. They just don't love the hard conversation. Or right. they're way around. They're really pretty intense and they've got high expectations. And I'm not really here to babysit and I'm not your second parent. And so just get your job done. And listen, I'll give you an affirmation every two weeks. It's called a paycheck. And so that's a little bit extreme, right? Um, and so, so what I would say to those I leaders. A, I'm sorry, there's a famous line in Mad Men where Don Draper says, well, that's what the money's for. Sorry. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So for anyone listening, right, and myself included, I want us thinking about where is our balance there? You know, do I do I over nurture? And sometimes it's 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 person specific. You know, with your inner circle, we're often hypercritical, right? I've lived with them for a long time. I don't have a very long fuse with them. They're a repeat offender in multiple ways. Uh, but really, we're talking about the sea of people at work for the most part today where um, I want you thinking about even more so. So here's a couple of quick thoughts and, and really a couple of illustrations from recent conversations, a story in a sense. I was talking to a leader yesterday who, who is more on the nurturing side and not as critical. And so holding people accountable, not their favorite, not the easiest thing. They're great at cheering people on. They're great at being likable, building a positive culture, but, but holding people accountable, having a hard conversation isn't their favorite. And so one of our favorite catchphrases from our conversation was this. And, and so I, I told the person, I said, so here's the thing. You're afraid of possibly hurting somebody by having this harder conversation. You'd rather not take the risk of possibly hurting somebody. So instead, you'll just currently hurt them. Mm -hmm. Oh, wait. Um, and, and so just, it wasn't that I'm trying to, to trap them, obviously, but just the mindset of, oh, yeah, if I hold back too much, if my nurturing is here, my criticality is here, I'm not avoiding the risk of hurting people. I'm currently hurting people by not being honest. And so that was a fun conversation. Another one I had recently, also this week, was the opposite. A leader who is hypercritical and not very nurturing. And with that leader, our favorite catchphrase was this. Don't be the I'm never good enough leader. Don't be the I'm never good enough leader that looks at somebody's proposal and sees why it's not good enough. They hear somebody's idea and says, here's why it's not good enough. They looks at their family or watch their kids you know, do music or sports or, or, look, or looks at a report card. Don't be the, I'm never good enough, whether it's a parent, a significant other, or somebody, or a leader at work, obviously. And so to me, those are the two behaviors. And finding that balance, now here's one final thought. If you're hypercritical and not that nurturing by nature, I don't think you're ever going to be the opposite. I mean, some life seismic event could happen and whatever. I mean, I've seen crazy things happen, but that's not even my goal, actually. I just want to see this, at least some awareness in a tweak, right? I, we need to celebrate behavioral diversity. I've had some leaders that were more lenient. I've had some that were more intense and more firm. I, they're both, they were both good in different ways. So we can't say, here's the one size fits all. That's not our goal. Or if you're the other way around, same thing. I'm not saying, hey, you're too nurturing. Cut that out. Quit being nice. Use more profanity. Yell more. No, 
No, we're just saying, hey, be willing to own that and look, look for some ways to tweak that. The, I actually have a, a, a question um, from one of our participants I want to get to, but briefly, Chris, in times of pandemic and stress, when we're trying to take care of people, do leaders overcompensate on the nurture side? Is there a danger of that? Both dangers I've seen very real over the last few months. Some people, they're just so wanting to make everybody okay that they'll just nurture. The nurturing is on overload. They won't hold anybody accountable. I've seen others because the stress hits. Now their own constraints are kicking in, and now they're more impatient, and there's more results to be you know, held, held accountable for. So wherever your predisposition is, it almost kind of, to your point, gets exacerbated. Right. Um, have you seen any over-nurture at GitLab, Julie? Is that a thing? Oh, for sure. Yeah, exactly. I was shaking my head as Chris was talking. I was like, I oh, my goodness. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And, and we see the whole extreme, right? So as, as Chris diagnosed it, we're all human, right? So, so we, see, we see that. And I think it's all about the balance, right? And something I was thinking about when, when Kimberly was talking earlier was, you know, I feel like self-care has been put on the back burner, you know, for a lot of people, including managers and leaders and people that are sort of charged with kind of making sure to take care of their teams, but are they pausing to even take care of themselves, right? And if I'm honest, I think a trend that we've seen at GitLab is a lot of people just really haven't taken any time off this year, right? Because they're sort of like, well, what's the point? There's nowhere to go, you know, right. sucks. life's depressing, right? And so we're really, really, really encouraging people and we're, we're running reports and we're looking to see like who's taken time off and who hasn't and who needs to and how can we make sure that everybody gets additional time off between now and the end of the year. So just even little things like that of just pausing to, to think about self-care for your team and yourself as a leader um, because I think that's really easy to to go out to go out the window and one quick thing and, and that I'll just point out somebody at GitLab suggested uh, back in May that we do something called a friends and family day and literally the, the company sort of like stops for a day and it's a day off for everyone it's kind of like a company holiday right and so at first we did it and at first I was skeptical I was sort of like we have unlimited PTO, no one's taking it, but why do we need this designated day? Well, it has ended up being such a um, well-received, people can't wait for a friends and family day because they know that they can actually shut off and disconnect for a day and the rest of the company is, is offline as well. So they don't feel that pressure to work, check in, keep going. So we've had a few of them since, since May. Um, and the response has just been overwhelming, right? So yeah. it's just something that we can do a little, a little, I don't want to say freebie, but you know, a little benefit that, that we've given to people to say, hey, let's pause and at least just have a day of, of self-care for the whole company. Nobody's working. There's no pressure. Go enjoy your family. Go be outside. Whatever it is that you want to do. You've, you've given permission to take care of themselves. Absolutely. Permission and really an expectation. Yeah. yeah. That's a good segue to a um, participant question, which I've lost. Let me bring it back up. Um, and I want, I want to address this to Kimberly first. Uh, uh, Julie and Chris may have some other observations, but you um, talked about Lockton adopting Facebook as an internal um, tool for kind of building a community and, you know, 
Facebook is in the news all the time. We want to talk about Facebook and Google and other big, big um, tech providers. Why did you settle on Facebook? What is that like? What's the um, what privacy considerations around it? What what led you to that decision? Because I think it's a, a very interesting way to kind of build a community inside your company. Yeah, so I think what's important to understand about um, Facebook's version of a corporate entity um, platform, it's called Workplace. So it has the same aspects of Facebook, but you're not exposed to external resources, external connectivity, or ads, or um, any sort of security issues that are outside of the company's firewall. So that's the, the benefit of the security piece. The actual experience piece though, for individuals that have been using Facebook, they can navigate it very quickly. And I think what we've come to learn is that baby boomers, Gen Xers, and I would say the older millennials are very familiar with how to use Facebook and how to teach each other, if you will, how to like post, how to display videos, how to engage. And what is really great about the workplace platform in itself is you already have early adoption because people are used to getting friend requests in a social media environment. I think it's probably most challenging if you have a Gen Z group who has moved on to things, you know, other social media platforms and the Facebook version isn't the cool factor anymore. But from a practicality standpoint, it allows you to have an ongoing conversation as opposed to the company intranet where the information is very stagnant and it's more of an information, you know, storage tool than it is so much about a dialogue. So now our employees can ask business related questions in that secure platform where there could be a message posted about new announcements or a new service that we're providing or just additional, you know, we're um, very familiar and have to deliver for our clients, HR and healthcare laws and compliance. And so if there are new updates, of course, that you know, happen during the CARES Act even, where we need to deploy this information to our clients quickly, now we can have ongoing conversations with our legal team about clarification or other perspectives and get that information real time and serviced more in an ongoing you know, dialogue as opposed to sending an email, waiting for only one or two people to know that information and then disperse it. Now 500 people can see that information at the same time, learn it, engage it, and then continue to, to message it. So I think it, it takes that aspect of saying, here's something that's happening in the consumer market that's familiar, which is something I think we're always behind in the human resources space. There's always movement happening in consumer platforms and tools and resources that bringing those in-house sometimes are a little bit more challenging because of the question you ask, which is IT security, privacy, who wants that information posted? But as you look at Gen Z and you look at the younger millennials, they've been posting their life since they, you know, since they were very young. And so the aspect of sharing is 
a little bit more commonplace than I think it's been in maybe older generations. So it's really opening up an opportunity for a new platform of, of conversation. And it's been very well received. So I think, you know, there's a number of different platforms that I think not only in my experience at Lockton, but other employers where we've deployed instant messenger platforms, maybe some social engagement platforms, and they just didn't get the uptick because the integration wasn't as simple or as easy to engage in. And so I think this is something where everybody can participate as much or as little as they want. So you wanna post photos, ask questions, or you just wanna hit the like button, you've got an opportunity to be as bold or you know, as simple as you'd like in your responses. So that, that's our approach today. And the benefit of having business announcements mixed in with locked-in parents, locked-in pets, even locked-in fit. So we have an um, individual who is doing either yoga or boot camp sessions throughout the day live. So you can jump in and join those sessions to be active you know, throughout your remote work um, day experience. And so it just broadens that opportunity for people to have a little bit more of work-life blend than work-life balance outside of the workspace. So you're using the familiarity of Facebook to build community and we get cute dog pictures on top of it. I mean, it, of course. It's, a, it's a really cool um, internal initiative. We are um, to the lightning round now. Uh, I wish we could continue this because there are a couple of things I didn't bring up. One is the health of Julie's 50-year-old tortoise in the backyard. Um, the other thing I didn't bring up is Chris's past experience as an international badminton player. Hey, I don't, I don't make these things up. I just read your bios, right? Uh, dispensing with those two things, Let's say you can tell, and there's a, there are a whole ton of them out there. Um, you, you are speaking to a few hundred business officials in government agencies right now. So say you're talking to a school district CFO or a state agency commissioner or a city manager, um, and they are challenged by this adaptive environment. What's the one piece of comforting advice? And we're just gonna quickly around the table. What's one piece of um, comfort, kind of the don't panic message you could give them in just a sentence? I'll start with Julie. You know what? I think at the end of the day, managing a remote company is like managing any company. You know, it comes down to trust, clear, consistent communication, making sure people are aligned to goals, and creating a fun and engaging atmosphere to work in, whether that's remote or on-site. Love it. Chris? I was just saying, you know, we're going to come out of this better. Just kind of reminding yourself kind of that mantra. Uh, Kimberly? I would say your employees want to hear from you. What you have to say is meaningful, no matter how small or big. So if it's a fun dog story on something you did this morning or something as important as the financial state of the company, they wanna hear from you. I, I have had a ball. I hope the three of you have as well. Um, for all of you who have participated, thank you so much for participating in uh, Weaver and we hope this has been helpful to you. 
If you have other things to do today, have a super day. We hope some of you will join us for our 11 o'clock session. And if you're seeking CPE, please remember to answer our polling questions at the bottom uh, and turn in your evaluation form and we'll send you that CPE certificate. Thank you so much for being here and everybody have a fantastic day.